Genesis 27. <clears throat> when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. <clears throat> now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the, the, the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so, quick, uh, so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me. Even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. And stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me?
of almost part two um, from where we were um, last week. Last week we talked a whole lot about the dysfunctional family units um, that we've seen thus far in Genesis. We've, we've talked a lot about um, Abraham's family and Isaac's family and, and now Jacob's. And actually I'm not going to talk about Abraham much this week, so I'm actually moving on. Um, but well, I mentioned last week, the things can really start heating up this week as we see the, the drama, the, the, the broken family unit that is um, Isaac's family with Jacob and with Esau. And it's important that we kind of realize where we were last week because we've seen this over the last couple months of the Abraham's family. They were, they were far from this ideal family. They were far from that Facebook picture-perfect family we talked about last week. But then, as we really went through last week, we saw that, that, but their identity was not in that broken family unit. Their identity was not in how messed up they were, how many issues they had, but that their identity was that they'd been called, they'd been set apart to be the family of God. And what we see this morning is that this is a, it's a long-term process, that God didn't say, you're my chosen family, therefore now you are perfect. Now, now I've made you exactly who I want you to be. But it's a really long-term process. And I, I, th- I hope that as we look at this this morning, that we will find some hope in this passage for us even today. My, my sister texted me this week. Apparently she um, keeps up with the podcast. And she said, man, she goes, that w- I really enjoyed that sermon because it gave hope for someone who's as dysfunctional as me. And I was like, I, I hope that's what we heard. I hope that, that we hear that, man, we are so far from perfect. We've all got our own issues that we deal with. But that, our hope is not in our brokenness. I also thought it kind of, everything we talked about last week went really well with what we talked about on Sunday night even. As, as Pastor um, Sang-Hoon Yu, I think that's it, um, he was here talking about his background and his um, dealing with, like, this, with trauma-informed care and how the church can, can really unconditionally love others who who are walking through various levels of trauma, how each one of us are kind of in this same broken state. And I, I couldn't help but think, thinking of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and, and this, all these things we've been reading about. I can't help but wonder what levels of trauma they've also experienced. I mean, we think of, of Abraham who's, who's given away his wife. We think of his wife who's been given away. Lot, Abraham has gone to war to save Lot. Abraham is given away, he's really sent away one of his sons. He's uh, almost sacrificed another one. Now we see Jacob and Esau both having lived, being favored by one of their parents, but not by the other. And just the various levels of, of trauma that they would have experienced. And I, I just, I can't help but see all the ways that this ties together in what the God is working amidst the, the broken, amidst the pain, amidst the hurt that is in our lives. But something we, again, we established last week was that our identity is not wrapped up in our own dysfunction. It's not wrapped up in ourselves. But I think it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear what you're saying, that our identity is not wrapped up in, in, our, in our present reality. It's not wrapped up in our lives. But then we can physically look at our lives and say, well, it doesn't seem that way. We look at our lives and say, well, that seems really far from reality. 
Because it's really easy to, to see. We know what our family looks like. We know what our lives look like. We know that we don't have it all together. But again, we, we're so far from finished products. Even as followers of Christ, like, like we are not finished products. We are not that, okay, well, God saves us and he's done. He's done everything he's going to do. But all through Scripture, we see that sanctification, this process of God making us more and more like Jesus, is, is, is a lifelong process. We saw, we've, we saw this in the life of Abraham. We saw this in the life um, of, of Noah, even. But we're going to see this also in the life of Jacob. Um, it's kind of a different route that I'm going at this this week uh, because we're not going to really get into a whole lot as far as like the nitty-gritty um, with this passage. But I kept circling back and forth uh, as I was reading it this week because we don't, you don't actually hear much from God in this passage at all. Um, the only time God's really mentioned is when Isaac is blessing who he thinks is Esau, but it's really Jacob. And he says, may my God give you. May God give you. That's like the only reference we have to God in this whole passage. So I was like, what is God, what, what is going on here? What, what is God doing in this passage? Like, what, what are we supposed to take from this? Because what I see is really the same thing we saw last week. That this family is just a disaster. Like, like, what is this going, what's all going on here? But again, as I said a minute ago, I think that we'll find some hope here in that God was not done with Jacob. We're seeing this snapshot. We're seeing this, this small picture of in, this, in the life of Jacob. But God was not finished with him yet. So, so looking at the chapter, we really see, we don't see a, a faultless character here. We don't see someone who is, who is morally upright. We don't, there's not the, oh, we're supposed to, we're supposed to say, whoa, let's, let's do what he does. I mean, you see Isaac, you see Esau, Jacob, Rebekah, all of them have fault here. All of them are at fault. You could walk through all sorts of examples. Like Isaac, you could talk about how he had favored one of his sons throughout his whole life. Surely Isaac, we don't really see this, but surely Isaac knew about the promise that had been given to Rebekah about, about Esau serving Jacob. But yet, he still is going to try to bless Esau. It, it's, it is easy to sympathize with Esau in the passage, to, to see him as the innocent party. But we see how careless he was last week with his birthright. We see the state of his heart as he goes to actually want to kill Jacob, even though it's, it's kind of hard to blame him. He's... He's given away his birthright. He's made that oath, but now he's, he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to hold on to that blessing. Jacob, it's, it's easy to see his fault here. You see his outright lies to his father. He's just that, and even when Rebekah first comes to him with this idea, he's worried about the consequences. He's not saying, this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. He's just worried about a consequence. And then Rebekah, uh, we see this is all her idea. Um, she's the one that approaches Jacob with this plan. She's the one that, that, that cooks the meat. She's the one that, that puts the clothes on him, on Jacob. But there's really no like morally upright, here's who we should side with in this passage. But again, all pointing back to just a further giving example of what we saw last week with this, this family unit, this, this identity that they had as a family was... Far from picture perfect. 
and I know I, I asked this last week, kind of rhetorically, but why would God choose this family to be his chosen family? Why would God choose this family to be at the center of his divine plan for all of time? Like, from our perspective, from man's perspective, this makes no sense. And just everything I was talking about last week, everything we saw with, with our identities not being wrapped up in that, but our identities being wrapped up in who God has declared his people to be, like, all of that has kept circling through my mind as I was preparing this week because it's just so clear. We, for those that know how the story plays out, it, it's so clear that, that their identity could not be wrapped up in how well their family looked. Their identity could not be wrapped up in, in themselves. It couldn't be wrapped up in their, their merits or their deeds because they proved over and over and over again how wicked they were, how, how often they failed. But what we see is that their identity was, again, wrapped up in who God had said they were. God had declared Abraham righteous because of faith. And it would be the same faith that, that Isaac then could hold fast to the same promises. And so you get, it's like this tension of this, this like dual reality of both broken, like brokenness, but also in, in hope. Because brokenness, we see the brokenness of the family. We see the pain of the family, the, the hurt. We also see that there is hope that goes beyond the presence. And I said this a couple moments ago. But God was not finished with Jacob here. We are seeing just a snapshot in the life of, of Jacob. We're gonna, there's probably 10, 11 more chapters on the life of Jacob that we're going to kind of walk through over the upcoming weeks or month or two here. But in the midst of what we read, God is not done with Jacob. His, his sin here that we see, his presence in it, the reality of his sin, is not going to define what God has in store for him. Because God works so many things in the long term, in the big picture that, that we don't have the privilege to see. We see the snapshot. We see the present. We see right now when God says, no, 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 I, I see the big picture. I'm working in the long term. Because imagine that, that you don't know how this story all plays out. That you don't know the end of the story. Like, what hope do you see from Jacob here at the end? All you see is Jacob leave. Jacob have to leave his family. It says Esau wants to kill him. We, we've been reading through this little, like, devotional um, in the evenings. And last night we actually read this story. And so, knowing the sermon, I was, like, asking the kids, what kind of, what hope do you see? What, 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 is, what does this look like for Jacob? Does he have any hope? And it's like, mm, not really. I mean, he's kind of messed up. He's got lots of issues. But imagine you don't know the end of the story. Like, Jacob is a punk. He's got all sorts of issues. He's a liar. Like, I don't imagine anyone wanting to be around him. Like, we, we know he can make soup. That's like the only semi-positive quality that we've seen from Jacob thus far. But we are seeing a snapshot. We're seeing this one instance. This is that we're seeing how we're being introduced to Jacob. 
And I think that we are also very quick to look at our lives and base our actions and base our our opinion on the world and everything also based on a snapshot, based on a moment in time. And I think that can lead to a lot of discouragement. It can lead to a lot of pain. It can lead to a lot of just disoriented worldviews. But it it's almost natural that we are, get caught in the moment. We get caught in the world we see around us, the, the lives, the, the, the experiences we've had. And I've, I've actually, within the last year, I've heard multiple people within this church say, say this, like, like this desire to be further sanctified. Like, why am I not more mature than I am? Like, I want to be past this. I want to be more mature. I want, I, want, I want to be past this sin or this struggle or I want to be more, more spiritually mature in this way or that way. And it can be really easy to be frustrated by these things. And I, I, I felt this in my own life. I mean, there's been multiple times in the last year that I'm like, God, why did I respond that way? What, where did that tone come from? Where did that attitude come from? Like, why am I so immature and be frustrated by that? And I, think it's, I don't think it's wrong to want to be further along in the sanctification process, further along in being made more like Jesus. But we also have to keep in mind that sanctification, this process of being made more like Jesus, is a lifelong event. It's something that, that God does. He, he molds us. He shapes us. He, he, he grows us. And He does that through all sorts of different ways. But having that desire in the moment to be more like Jesus it, is good, but it also, we have hope that God is going to do it. Like, we have hope that God is actually going to do this. But again, God has the long-term picture in mind. Because Jacob, what we see here in Jacob, we see his lies, we see his deception, we see that snapshot of Jacob, that we're first introduced to him in this way, what he has done to his brother, what he's done to his father. But Jacob is a long-term project. I think we see that God has a long-term view of of Jacob. And we're going to see that over the next few weeks. We're going to see God continue to reveal himself to Jacob. And I feel like I can say that we are long-term projects too. Like, we are long-term projects. Like, God is working on us. Like, we're we're far from a finished product. We are far from from the perfect... From being like Jesus. I feel like if we all look at our lives, we can probably all say, well, I've got all these ways that I'm not like Jesus. I know that I can. And I want to be quick to say this, that I don't want to downplay the sin of Jacob in any way. Because it is so clear in this passage. So clear in this passage. His sinfulness is really on on full display. His lies, his deception, his, his premeditated lies. We saw him kind of con his brother out of the birthright. Now we see him lying to steal a blessing from his disabled father. And read, just reading Genesis 27, as Ben read that, we don't, the, the thing about narrative is we don't get a lot of commentary. We don't get the, the, the writer saying, oh, and this was really bad. This was really wrong. I imagine, like, if Paul wrote this, like, New Testament, he would have said, like, repent, Jacob. Like, this is wrong. You are wrong. You are in error. But as a narrative section, we don't see that. We don't get that, that kind of view. But his sin was real. 
And it's easy to think, well, Jacob just got out of this unscathed. Jacob, he, he, he kind of got away with this without any consequences. But I think that's far from the truth. Because if you think about it, Jacob, just thinking of, of earthly consequences, Jacob had to flee. He's got a brother who's going to kill him. Like, these events damaged his, all of his family relationships. Like, we don't see any biblical evidence that he saw his mother again. He's no doubt disappointed his father. He's fleeing to another land that we're going to see in the upcoming weeks that he, he works for 20 years of labor in this country. There were absolutely consequences for Jacob's actions. And it's, it's easy to miss that if we just skim through this. Like, because not all those consequences were immediate. Because he got the blessing. He got immediately what he was after. But there was all sorts of consequences for his sin. And I want to be clear. Like, we've, we talk a lot about consequences in our, in our, in our house. Like, good consequences, bad consequences. Like, the, the actions have consequences. And just because God is at work here, just because God is sanctifying us, that God is changing us, is in at work in us, doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Sin still has consequences. And I feel like we've all, to various levels, seen those consequences in our, in our lives. Some of you might say, hey, I see that all over my life. I have all sorts of issues that I'm dealing with because of my sin. Others of us might say, well, I, I don't really see a lot of, of physical, earthly consequences. But sin, Jacob's sin, had, had consequences. It, it caused a lot of issues, further issues in his family and for him. And I don't want to, like, shout, sin has consequences. It's just this big scare tactic or anything. But knowing that there are consequences, knowing that our sin impacts those around us, knowing that Jacob's sin impacted his family unit, knowing that it impacted those around him, knowing that that's true today too, like why do we still keep sin around? Why are we not just actively killing it? Why do we not flee? Why, why do we not get as far away from it as possible? Here's what I, what I see. Knowing all that, knowing that Jacob's sin was real, it was awful, knowing that his sin had, it did have earthly consequences, but his sin also did not define how God was going to still work through him and what God was going to do because of him. And I think the same can be true. The same is true today. Like, it's not our sin. It's not how bad we are. It's not how good we are. It's not our own sin that is defining what God is going to do. Because again, we're only at the beginning of Jacob's story. We don't see any kind of repentance, anything from Jacob here. He just flees. He just runs away out of fear for his own life. His mother sends him away. But we're just at the very beginning stage of seeing God reveal himself to Jacob. We're only at the beginning stage of God breaking Jacob down over a period of, of years. 
20, 30 years, God is going to really break Jacob down. Show him what he's like. Show him his mercy. Show him his grace. Show him his plan. And often that's how God continues to work on us, slowly molding us, changing us, showing us the depths of his grace, showing us the depths of his mercy, but showing us the mighty ways that he is still at work. And I, I say all of this because like, I hope that we can find hope knowing that God would still work through someone like Jacob. Because it's easy to look at my life. It's easy to look at our lives and say, why would God, why would God ever want to work through someone like me? I was thinking of this just my own life. Like, why would God want to work through someone like me who is quick to judge, quick to speak, why would God want to work through someone like me who spent most of my college years and early 20s really trying to try out the ways of the world? Why would God choose to work through someone like me who's continually prideful and sees myself as the center of the universe? Why would God want to work through someone like me who continues to push back on the ways that I see God calling? Like... As, I, as I've asked myself these questions this week, I'm like, man, like, why, God? But then Genesis 27, as I was reading this and, and reading forward, it's just like, it gives me hope because God, what he wants to do in our lives, what he's going to do in our lives is not defined by our sin. There is hope in, in Genesis 27. There's hope knowing that God is working and that he is doing that through us. I think it's really easy to, to look at our lives and say, that we, and, and feel like that we've kind of ruined what God could have done through us. We're like, I, I, I've kind of ruined those plans. Maybe these are conscious thoughts you've had. Maybe these are kind of subconscious thoughts you've had. But we're like, man, our sin, we can feel like our sin has, has, has ruined this. Maybe it's through your poor choices. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's sexual morality or laziness or selfishness, pride. Any number of things. We're like, well, God could not work through me because of all these things. But none of these None of these things limit what God plans to do. None of those things limit what God can do through sinners like us. Like, we, we, like we give ourselves this power. It says, like, God, I, I can limit God. Like, no. The same God who created you with his words that God is not finished yet. The same God who knows your sin, he knows your rebellion, he knows your failures, he knows you've strayed, he knows you've tried to run away, 
That same God is the same God that loves so much to send His Son into the world. That same God, the same God of Abraham, the same God of Isaac, the same God of Jacob, the same God is whose love is so abundant, is so gracious and merciful. This same God gave us Jesus when you and I did not deserve it. He, the same God gave us Jesus so that we can be identified by him so then God can seize those who trust in Christ. What he sees is not our wickedness, our sinfulness, our brokenness, but sees the righteousness of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus. And it gives me hope. Gives me hope that Jesus, that we, that he's not done yet. That he's not done yet. Because he's not done with Jacob. He's not done with Jacob. I think of David. This adulterer, murderer, God wasn't done with him yet. Think of Paul. Paul, this, this Jewish leader, this, this person who had, who had killed multiple Christians, who had persecuted them. But you know, God I'm not done with him. He pursued him. He saved him. He would, he would work through Paul to reach multitudes and bring them to faith in Jesus. But this is the kind of God we have, always continually at work, not giving up on us, continuing to pursue us and be patient with us, even when we stray, even when we run away, continually giving us grace. But also, this, this can give us so much confidence in sharing the gospel. It can give us so much confidence in evangelism and sharing with others because there is not one person in this room or outside of this room that is beyond the grace of God. Like there's no one. Noah wasn't. Jacob wasn't. Abraham wasn't. David, Paul, you. The person you pass at work, the person you pass at the grocery store or outside on the street or in the neighborhood. Like, there is no one that has sinned so much that they are beyond the grace and mercy of God. I just keep coming back to Romans 1.16. It'll be up on the screen. The poll says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Not just those put together, not just those who are not wicked sinners in the eyes of the world, not just those who've straightened themselves up. The power of salvation to all who believe. Like, why did, did God plant this church right here? Like, couldn't he have put this church in a building that had water and electricity at first? Couldn't he have put this church in a building that didn't have to have cups and vases all around the room every time it rained? 
Like, surely he could have sent this church to a place that wasn't in the part of the city that floods every time it rains hard. Like, surely he could have planted this church in somewhere with more comfort. But I can't come back to that word. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Let me just read that again. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Like, I believe that God planted this church right here to be a shining light for the gospel in this neighborhood, in the streets right here, in the places that he will send us. Because God is still working. He's not done yet. He's not done in our lives. He's not done in this church. He's not done in the lives of people all around here. I read Genesis 27, I keep coming back to it being a message of hope. I think we're going to see this play out, and I I hesitated to to, to kind of go here with this this morning, because it seems almost like at the end of Jacob, to look back. But I want us to see this message of hope all the way through, to see where we're starting with Jacob, to see what kind of person he is, but that God wasn't done with him yet. God was still working in him. And we have hope to see beyond, to have hope beyond the snapshot we see in our lives. Because you may see your life and say, man, my life is chaos. My life is a disaster. My life is so far from put together. But there is hope. There is hope. Because our sin, our failures, is not defining what God is going to do through us. You may look at your life and be very discouraged by what you see. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's your work situation, your family situation, the the sin in your life. But as cliche as it sounds, like in this moment, as as we can be so dissatisfied by what we see, if we would just stop looking at ourselves in that moment and look to Jesus... Like, he is doing a perfect work in us. Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The God who gave us Jesus to make us a part of his family. This Jesus is not done with us yet. This Jesus is not done with us yet. He's still working, still changing us, still molding us. We are, I am so far from perfect, so far from being like Jesus. See, I pray that God continues to grow our desire to be further sanctified, to be made more like Jesus. We have hope that he will do it. That's a prayer that we can pray confidently because he says he's going to do it. I'm, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's hope. But we can also pray confidently 
that God will continue to save people? That the gospel will continue to reach the lost? Because God is not done yet. Like as we ponder how God might, might, might grow this church, might grow CRC, as we, as we desire to be matured, as we desire to be matured, as we want to see the ways that God is going to, to reach through us, like we can be confident in these things, confident that God will do it because He shows all through Scripture that He is not done, that He's continuing to work. I don't know exactly like how this hits you or where this hits you. Um, I don't know what buttons this may have pushed or, or what. But, but please hear hope because our present snapshot, our present lives that we see, our experience right around us right now is not defining what God can still do. So as we respond, like that is a message of hope that we can be excited about. That's a message of hope that, that could cry out to Jesus in, in our honesty, wanting him to make us more like Jesus. So, so as I pray, I just ask that you would join me. Join me in praying that God would continue working in us.